0: Welcome to the Minerals and Royalties Podcast, the home of
1: CEOs and investors in the minerals and royalty space. Hey guys, this is your host Tim Powell from the Oil & Gas Council. I recently sat down with Matt Sands, managing member of Silver Heel Investments and the host of the Mineral Rights Podcast. Throughout the episode, Matt discusses how he got into the mineral space back in 2015 and why he saw the need to launch the Minerals Rights Podcast to help educate mineral owners. Let's jump into the episode and hear more of what Matt has to say. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to do this.
0: Hey Tim, uh, thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this.
1: I'm looking forward to it as well. This is the first time I'm having a fellow podcaster on our minerals and royalties podcast, so it'll be good. uh, Another minerals podcast nonetheless. So I think it should be uh, some interesting commentary, but like the other episodes, just want to get a little bit more of a a personal background on your career and who you are personally, you know, where you grew up, where you went to school, and then how you ultimately got into the mineral space. And we'll take that a step further later in the episode, how you got into building out a podcast around minerals and and why you did that and, and so on and so forth. So I'll let you take it from here. Just Little background on yourself and and how you got to this
0: point. Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah. So I uh, grew up in Houston and in Denver. So my family moved back and forth when I was growing up. And so kind of split the time between the two cities, but born in Denver and all my family is here and ended up coming back to Colorado to go to college at the Colorado School of Mines. And so right out of school, I ended up going straight into the industry. I worked for Shell for 16 years and various engineering roles primarily and then at the end I worked on the enterprise architecture team where we looked at the way that business process data and systems were managed across the unconventionals uh, business in the Americas and so it was you know kind of a jack of all trades master of none you know knew a little bit about minerals had some various engineering roles where i had some experience with doing some production forecasting My wife's a reservoir engineer. And in 2015, at the kind of the previous downturn before the one we're going through right now, I had the decision to make whether to stay with Shell and relocate to Houston or to stay here in Denver where our family is and and go off on my own or do something different. And so I decided to pull the ripcord and, and do something different. And I saw minerals and royalties as a sort of undervalued asset at the time. It was something that really intrigued me. The the cost-free aspect of it, and still being able to enjoy the benefits of the royalties from oil and gas production. And so I started to look into that and decided to start a company to invest in minerals and royalties across the Rockies and primarily the mid-continent and into parts of Texas, but not into West Texas, where I thought there was a lot of competition And so I started a company called Silver Heels Investments. We're self-funded. I have a business partner with some other entities that we purchase minerals through and have been doing that ever since. And my business model, you know, on the the investment side has has sort of stayed the same. We primarily invest in PDP minerals. We have some undeveloped minerals and basins that we like. And we felt that the price was right and it was worth for us to hold on to for a while. And so have been doing that and then has kind of morphed into a con- some consulting as well. So uh, with my background and the need for a lot of individual mineral owners and also other investors that don't have in-house engineering to have valuations done and to have that sort of service available, I have I started to do that as well, kind of in parallel to the investing. And so that's sort of, uh, sort of what we do today as well.
1: So, you know, on the back of your strategy, it was all grassroots, right? So kind of speak to the interactions you had with individual mineral owners and ultimately why you decided to start your podcast. You saw a need there, there was a void on the education side. There were a lot of repeat questions and you thought to yourself, well, there could be some some good content created here that can help these mineral owners get more educated and up to speed on all the things that they're wondering about and that that could maybe help me down the road as a mineral buyer, but just as more of a you know, a greater good for minerals owners out there to be better equipped when institutional capital and professional buyers knock on their door. I think one of the challenges, right, is even if you don't know if your offer is good or not, when when someone approaches you with with a big number, you go, what do they know that I don't know? And it just creates contention. And that's one of the biggest things that I think minerals buyers try to work through, you know, getting sellers comfortable and making them feel like they're informed and they they're having a good deal. And so uh, I think it's brilliant. The story of how you developed the podcast, it was fulfilling a need in the market. And I would love to hear that story from the beginning and some of them, some insights or war stories, if you may, uh, you know, particular instances where you've seen it really help. And yeah, I'll, I'll let you take it from here.
0: Sure. You're exactly right. It's it, it was uh, an opportunity that I saw a big void that was was out there. And I'm a big podcast listener myself. And so, you know, I was looking for content related to minerals and royalties and oil and gas industry, and there wasn't a whole lot out there at the time. And so that was kind of interesting. And really, you know, I was guilty of this as, as well in terms of our website is, you know, the the information that's out there and the education available to mineral owners was generally tailored towards Trying to convince them why it was a good idea to sell their, their property. You know, hey, you know, minerals are risky to hold on to. Your property may never get developed. You can have a cash, you know, lump sum today, sort of a thing. And so I thought, you know, I can do better than this. And I said, I, I think there's a lot of questions out there. And I know that, you know, from going on the mineral rights forum and would see a lot of the discussions going on, and it really saw the need for people to have an objective source of information that they could go to when they were approached, like you mentioned, to maybe purchase their property or maybe to lease so that they could be better informed and help make an educated decision. Because it's a big decision. I mean, if you have several hundred mineral acres, and especially if it's in a hot location, you know, if it's in the Delaware Basin or someplace like that, or even if it's in some other place that's, you know, just more recently heated up. You know, you, this could be a big windfall and it could be something where taking the time to educate yourself and make the right decision can make the difference between leaving, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. And so, it was something where I thought I could do a service and just go out and provide, you know, the basic information, you know, hey, when you go to lease, here's some of the clauses to think about. Here's some of the tips. From my experience in negotiating an oil and gas lease that I can share and from my industry background and, you know, telling people, well, if you're looking to understand how much your property is worth, unfortunately, there's no Zillow for mineral rights. So you have to sort of take a look at it. And here's the things that go into having a valuation done and the type of person you need to contact to get. Professional valuation and you know how much it's going to cost, and but then on the down, on the flip side of that, the backside, how much you have to gain if you potentially can negotiate more money for your property. And so, at the end of the day, you know, like you mentioned, I think there was a lot of distrust out there. A lot of the messages I saw were something to the effect of, "Well, I've got this offer, and so they clearly know something about it, and they're just here to to take advantage of me." And and it really is not the case. You know, most. I would say credible mineral buyers that are going to be in it for the long game are really wanting a win-win, right? They have to make money. And so, you know, most individual mineral owners recognize that, but they also want to protect their interest and make make some money on their side as well. And so I think there's a a way for them, you know, for those two parties to come together, having an educated mineral owner, I think in, in most mineral buyers point of view, at least in mine as well you know, educating them so that they're making an informed decision will help at the end of the day in that being a uh, good experience for that mineral owner. And so, you know, I think most mineral buyers also feel that way. And so I think that, you know, that was the, the goal basically to, to create a podcast that would provide, you know, basic education and, you know, deeper dives into some of the more complex areas, you know, whether it's a legal topic or tax related in, in areas where you know, those of us with a technical background or a land background may or may not have a deeper knowledge. And so there's always an opportunity to become educated on the latest case law or, you know, what attorneys are saying about things to look for when, you know, negotiating a lease and some of the the latest developments related to post-production deductions, which is always an ever evolving topic. So things like that is what we look at covering and, you know, current events and news and stuff like that. So...
1: Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to Noble Royalties for sponsoring our Minerals and Royalties podcast. As a leader in the minerals and royalty space since 1997, Noble remains committed to creative solutions for others who may be rethinking their risk tolerance. In order to adjust to the current market cycle, Noble thinks it might be time to reset, rethink and redeploy capital differently. If you're interested in exploring ways to work with Noble, then please give Chase Morris a call at 972-788-5823 or email him at cmorris at com. Thanks. Now let's jump back into the episode. You know, it's interesting. I I just did an episode with Scott Noble, the CEO of Noble Royalties, and he kind of jokingly said, you know, back in the the 50s, dad and granddad said, never sell your minerals. But he goes, that was based on a, a totally different industry. You were getting... Two to three to four hundred dollars an NRA. It was low decline. You fast forward a few decades. You're talking about peak oil type discussions and the pricing environment. The commodity price was much lower. And goes, you know, fast forward today with shale. You have extremely steep declines, very volatile pricing. The war on on oil. You, know, you have the, the cycles we go through and the ups and downs that come with that. And he said, there's absolutely a very sound conversation to be had about why it's a good decision to sell your minerals at the right time when it makes sense for your family. And someone who's a professional buyer that has institutional capital or is pulling stuff together at scale can afford to take on certain risks and blend them together and make money on their side, but it it really makes a whole lot of sense, especially if you're in a hot area like the Delaware, you're going to be getting, with, with the, after flush production's over, you're going to be getting probably 10 to 20% of that cash flow after the two to three, four years in, right? So just all, all that, the, the game has definitely changed. And I think it's great that you're educating folks. Now, one question I'll, I'll say here is this, there's the whole paralysis by analysis type argument that can be made of if someone's not an oil and gas specialist and you put too much information in front of them, is all of a sudden that going to do more harm than good? Uh, I'm not saying it is, but this is just, you know, uh, being you know, rhetorical here and voicing the, the opinion of some pundits out there saying, you know what, it should be down to if someone needs money and you offer something that's compelling enough, if you get two in the weeds, that that's not really going to help the process. What was your comment on that? Do you have any personal experience where the net net has been been more of a positive so that everyone's informed?
0: Yeah, and I think it probably just depends on individual personality. You know if somebody's inclined to to do that over analysis, they're gonna find a way to do it, even if they have to go to the county courthouse and and look through micro right so I don't know that the information more readily available, whether it's through a blog or a website or through a podcast, is going to necessarily affect the uh, decision-making process other than for the majority, you know, it's going to make, provide them with enough information to feel like they're making an informed decision, like I mentioned before. So I think it's, I think it's educating at a base level to where they at least understand the terms, they understand, you know, okay, well, my, I understand why my neighbor got paid more uh, one section over because there's a rig on his property, whereas mine, there haven't been any permits filed yet. And so it's not going to demand quite as much money because of the time value money aspect. And, you know, the buyer is going to get a return on their investment quicker across the way. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, having that information will help. In fact, it could incite a, a mineral owner to be willing to take less, you know, like in that specific example that I gave hypothetically, obviously going through the process of saying, well, okay, I understand now why that person's getting more. This is, this seems like a fair offer. It's less. And they explained and the mineral buyer explained to me what I already kind of intuitively knew from doing the research, but they validated it. And so I can trust them that they're telling me the truth. Okay. I'm willing to go ahead and, and sign the paperwork. And so I think, I think it's a win-win from that standpoint, you know, I think, you know, to the extent that the story that the mineral buyer is telling them is the same as the, you know, the conclusion that they've drawn by doing their own research and, and with the available information out there. I think it helps the mineral buyer, like I, in that example I gave, you know, give them more credibility. So it, it builds that trust and it gives the credibility to the buyer in a situation like that because the mineral owner can tell that they're being honest with them.
1: Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Well, another scenario, so. Let's just say in the sake of transparency, which I'm a fan of, right? I think the more transparent, the better. Let's just say a private equity-backed company sits down w- with a seller. They walk through, hey, we wanna offer you two million bucks on your property, here's why. And they say, you know, our cost of capital is 8% and we need to, to make 20% for our investors, for the math to work. And so we're, you know, we think your property is worth this and we're discounting it down to two million. Does that, you know, I I've talked to folks who say, you know, Tim, that does more harm than good because all of a sudden they see the intrinsic value of it and then what you have to offer it to make money. And they say, Well, I don't wanna I don't wanna give up all that upside. Do you see that as a, a place of contention for a lot of mineral owners? Or, or or do they get it, right? I mean there there's a cost to doing business and you know, at the end of the day they can get a check today for two million and no one else is there to to offer that. So that's the option they want for liquidity, that's the price they pay. I any mean, any feedback or you know stories around that
0: you know that could be a potentially a, a point of contention like you mentioned i do think there is a point of it's like any business negotiation you know you hold your cards to a certain extent to your chest in terms of the specific numbers right so you can be generic about informing and being honest and upfront with a mineral owner around here's the activity here's sort of the generic timing as to what, when we see these additional wells coming online and this is all baked into this number that we're offering and, and how much you go beyond that is really up to the, you know, the investor as to how, uh, what their process is and, and their negotiating tactics. You know, can't say one way or the other whether that would be good or bad, but I could see in, you know, potential circumstances how they could say, well, just like you said, I think my property is worth more just because of what you showed me. I'm gonna I'm going to hold out to get that number when it's maybe not a realistic target. So I could see that being an issue where maybe an investor could end up shooting them in the foot. And I know specifically from some consulting work that, you know, I had a client in uh, with, with some minerals in uh, the Midland Basin. And, you know, we went through the valuation. We went through the the potential scenarios. And in that case, I think that scenario that you mentioned did sort of play out. They expected more than what the offers were that we were able to, to solicit and, and to get on their behalf. and at the end of the day they weren't happy with the number even though it was a, a fair number and we were able to sort of show them the potential you know scenario the most likely development scenario and how that sort of supported the the offers that they had received but you know the mistake i think that that was made upfront was i in in sort of looking at the property and saying okay if if you know this more aggressive here's the range right so here's the upside if a bridge shows up in the next year or next two year. Here's what that means from an NPV standpoint. And here's sort of what that could play out like. And here's the other side, the the low end, right? And you know, here's things don't happen. It's it's not something they're they're not booking this as proved reserves. Nothing gets drilled in the next five years. You're going to have to deal with existing production. And then you know maybe something happens down the road and here's the other number. And I think in that setting of that larger number out there, it did taint their um, expectations. And so I think it's something where just whether you're from a, either a consultant or a mineral buyer, you have to be careful around setting those expectations, but then still being upfront and realistic around what the scenarios are and then and then going from there. So it is a, a potential issue.
1: Hey guys, just a quick heads up that oil and gas council will be hosting a series of minerals and royalties focused webinars in the upcoming months, including topics such as what it takes to exit a minerals and royalties portfolio, investment strategies for private equity in the minerals and royalty space, and buy side strategies in the minerals and royalty space amidst COVID-19 and the oil price war. If you're interested in getting registered for these webinars so you can tune in to the live discussions, then please visit oilandgascouncil.com. Forward slash webinars or email me at tim.powell at oilcouncil.com. Thanks. Now let's jump back into the episode. Yeah, I mean, listen, bubble markets will always exist because inherently, you know, human behavior can slant towards being getting greedy. And, you know, even you can walk them through all the math you want and you say your stuff is worth 11,000 in array. If they hear their neighbor got it for 18, they're going to want to know why they can't get a freight team. So I think there's that's always going to be an inherent challenge. But anyways, uh, what what are some of the misconceptions that what, when you start to develop a relationship or you just have a consistent listenership uh, on your podcast with mineral owners and they write in and they field questions, what are some of the, the common misconceptions that you see that they kind of have an aha moment or realize, oh, I, I misunderstood that. I, I didn't realize that that's how this worked or what that value was driven in this way? Uh, Are there a couple of, you know, overriding themes that pop up over and over again around that?
0: Yeah, I think it goes back to the, you know, some of what we've already talked about around trust. And so I think one of the things that I've heard from some of my clients and from others that I've seen post on the rights Forum and, and other places like that, and people that write into the show, is that there's that sense of, you know, like you mentioned, I think that because the advice they'd always gotten from their grandparents was never sell your minerals, then somebody sending them a letter in the mail with an offer or calling them and making an offer to purchase their, their property or, or to lease, they just have that initial reaction as one of distrust. And so I think that, you know, the, the big challenge, whether you're an operator looking to lease a property or if you're a mineral investor, is to to build that trust. You know, you've got to build with that rapport, just like any, you know, negotiation, like I mentioned before, I think it's just a matter of building that trust and then being upfront with them in terms of the high level scenarios that you're using to base the valuation on and, you know, let them make a decision from there. And so I think that's probably one of the bigger, I guess, misconceptions is that all buyers are out there to take advantage of them or that all oil companies are out there to take advantage of them. So I think it goes on the, the mineral owner side as well to to both educate themselves so that they can have a level of trust, that, that they know that the person on the other end of the line is being upfront with them and that they do research. You know, that's one of the things we always advocate with our listeners. You know, if they're somebody maybe just has inherited a property, doesn't know very much about the minerals and royalties market, you know, we always advocate that people educate themselves and to understand who they're dealing with. And so do a Google search, you know, find out who that other company is, you know, do they have raving reviews out there from people on mineral rights forum or are people saying, "Hey, buyer beware, don't go deal with this person, they took advantage." And so I think it goes like like with any sort of online transaction or something where you're dealing with somebody that you don't know personally, is you just have to do your research, understand who you're dealing with on the other end. And that'll help address that. But yeah, that is a, probably the first reaction is that um there's that person on the other end is out there to take advantage of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, are are there other things along the lines of trust building? I think I speak with minerals companies all the time and everyone's trying to figure out a way to increase that hit rate and just, they all preach customer service. That's the only way to, to have a longstanding reputation in this game, but it's a numbers game. So everyone's always trying to figure out a data edge or some sort of tactical edge on converting, you know, that hit rate a little more effectively. Are there certain things you've seen? You've heard feedback on how they've developed the trust more. Is it just showing the math? Is it showing a track record, referrals? What matters the most? Is it that you know you grew up on a ranch too? Is there a personal angle that really plays in, or is it purely down to the math and the returns?
0: I mean, certainly the math plays into it. At the end of the day, if there's somebody that they, you know, maybe don't have quite as good a relationship, but their offer is significantly more and that they believe that that is a credible offer and they're going to be able to consummate the deal then then certainly they're going to end up going and voting with their wallet but i think that in general to get your foot in the door you know it's a matter of you know everything that you say that you're going to do to do it you know so it's it's like anything in in business or in, in personal relationships for that matter it's to under promise and over deliver i've seen where working on behalf of a client and they were selling their minerals. We've, we had their property split into two lots. Buyer one closed quickly, did what they said they were going to do. And so there was a level of, I guess, trust that was built through that, right? So that relationship was, I would say at the end of the day, it was a, a positive one. They got the check and they were, they're happy. Mineral buyer B didn't fulfill their end of the bargain. So they had the offer letter to outline the terms and, you know, like any good mineral buyer had some some flexibility in terms of whether there was title was acceptable to them and so they were able to sort of draw that out over time just by saying that you know well we just want to make sure we need to go through do some title curative we need to do this and that versus the other buyer maybe they just overlooked it but they were able to accept it and and move on and close the deal on the same properties that were had the same overriding documents that that govern the title so there was a level of distrust that was generated in that second example because the company closed by this date and they didn't do that. And so I think that at the end of the day is is a big thing is if you say you're going to do something, you got to hold to that. So I think that's an important
1: thing. And, and what are the key questions you see come up time and time again? Because I think going back to that hypothetical example you just gave, I mean, if you're going to approach someone you're going to build trust and you're going to say you're going to close in 30 days or whatever the timeline is if you can have your ducks in a row beforehand and be you know proactive uh, and put a lot of those concerns and questions uh put to bed very very early on that can help with the trust building aspect of you know for all of the mineral buyers out there what are the things that are just time and time again comes up in, in your conversations and and your episodes
0: a lot of it boils down to very um, specific questions. You know, the question we hear a lot is, you know, what are my minerals worth? You know, is this offer that I have on the table is it a good deal? Is it a fair deal? Other sort of things where they just are trying to figure things out. So there's, there's let's say, the valuation side. You know, whether it's a lease offer, a purchase offer, is this a good offer? Is on? It's kind of one category. The other one is just sort of the the how-tos. You know, how do I calculate? the number of net royalty acres that i own you know i have you know my lease i have the number of net mineral acres tell me you know what this is a confusing term just walk me through how i do this or how do i calculate my net revenue interest to double check my division order you know some really i guess basic stuff i would say so just people that have an interest in managing their property they want to get into understanding those things so that they can sign a division order and know that it's correct or be able to evaluate an offer based on the number of net royalty acres and understand what it means and why their neighbor across the street with the 25 percent royalty got so much higher valuation on a net royalty acre basis than they did when they have a a one-eighth royalty you know so stuff like that just general education and how to versus let's say valuation related questions
1: Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to Noble Royalties for sponsoring our Minerals and Royalties podcast. As a leader in the minerals and royalty space since 1997, Noble remains committed to creative solutions for others who may be rethinking their risk tolerance. In order to adjust to the current market cycle, Noble thinks it might be time to reset, rethink and redeploy capital differently. If you're interested in exploring ways to work with Noble, then please give Chase Morris a call at 972-788-5823 or email him at c at Thanks. Now let's jump back into the episode.
0: Okay. No, listen. That
1: that's great. And you know, it's it's funny. You started this seeing a need in the market. We started our podcast on the same premise, just from a different angle. So we're very complimentary in terms of the information we're putting out and the audiences we're trying to. Educated, you know, we're in the business of connecting and expediting business development, right? And our clients, time and time again, say, Tim, the, the best intro you could ever make is the family office, the wealth manager, the high net worth individuals that want exposure in this space, you know, real estate investors, so on and so forth. We're raising the fund and we'd love to bring them in, educate them, walk them through any questions they have. And then you kind of go up the food chain a little bit. Hey Tim, we'd love to talk to foundations, pensions, you know, any institutional investors, insurance companies that want to buy direct. This asset makes sense. You can outsource the management of it. We're going to aggregate this incredible turnkey asset of a couple hundred million or bigger. And you know, if you come across any new investors out there, the pool of yield co investors is so big globally. We're just in the early innings of this of this space. We just need to keep educating and get them in the loop. And if you come across them, let me know. Now, I think everybody is looking for those categories of investors that I just mentioned, whether you're on the fundraising side or or you're exiting and looking for a buyer. All the major investment banks are being engaged to identify them. The sale processes, that's who you're hoping enters the data room. and, And everyone individually is doing that in their efforts. So we're no different. And I just took a step back and I said, I think that if an investor that's a generalist or is not an all guess specialist gets their interest peaked it's really difficult to do your homework on this space there's not a lot out there and from our perspective we deal with the investment community and corporates not at the individual mineral owner like yourself so we wanted to create a library of content that people could reference over time and in their car rides to work or before an investor pitch from a mineral ceo could get caught up to speed and get comfortable with the lingo and see how the Big public companies behave differently from the private equity-backed ones and the smaller guys that aggregate and flip and do it again, and just seeing that whole ecosystem in action and then get to know the companies themselves and their profiles, because it's a very privately held space. It's from a transparency standpoint, you you don't have a lot of IR decks out there, right? There's only five or six companies. So that's the need we saw. And the long-term vision for us is to continue to expand that and hopefully create, you know, something that brings investors from all over the world up to speed quicker. And, you know, as their interests peak, they can quickly get that education and start engaging with these execs as well and profiling them, their personal backgrounds. And hopefully, you know, it comes down to the trust side and relationship building side. There could be some common backgrounds there that help start a conversation that that's what we're after, right? We have more of a corporate investment type path going forward. What's your ultimate vision with your podcast? I think there's definitely some great benefits. I think you're doing a, a great public service to the industry, but there's going to be a level of trust built in you for putting this content out time and time again. And I'm sure if a mineral owner is looking to sell at some point, they're going to want to turn to you, right? As a, as a trusted advisor as kind of their source of info. So I'm sure that's one benefit. Is that the only, or do you, do you have other directions you want to take the podcast as well?
0: No, you're, you're absolutely right, Tim. And that is one of the reasons that, you know, in addition to just the, you know, education component, you know, building that audience and building the trust with the audience and to where if somebody did want to sell, that it would be a source of organic leads for, for uh, mineral acquisitions. And that has played out to a certain extent. I wouldn't say it's the primary benefit that we're seeing. I think really long-term, the vision for this is to be the one-stop shop for education for all aspects related to minerals and royalties, whether that's free content that's available through the website or the podcast into whether it's paid courses or coaching or again, the consulting services that we offer. For people that want to go just a little bit deeper and, and kind of get a little bit more handholding in, into their education, so that is ultimately the the vision. You know, it is something where we do tend to continue to keep publishing free content like we're doing today. Have industry experts out there, whether it's in subjects, all areas, uh, all different types of mineral owners need to know, whether they're on the investor side or if they're individual mineral owners just finding out that they inherited a property. It's, you know, what are the latest developments around, you know, land and title issues in oil and gas leasing, estate planning, taxes, things that we're seeing in terms of news and current events related to minerals and royalties and kind of everything in between. And so really looking at, you know, serving both sides of the business, we do have a good number of our audience that is also on, on, the, on the industry side. So whether they're attorneys or accountants that support minerals and, and royalties or if they're actual individual mineral loans. We have kind of both both sides covered. But uh, yeah, look to be really the the one-stop shop for that information and for you know staying on top of what the developments are in the industry.
1: Fantastic. And for Silver Heels investments, you know, your minerals co, is there kind of any future vision there or is it is it a sidecar vehicle that you just continue to build up over time with Good value arbitrage opportunities that you see in the market, and and you're you're a buying hold strategy primarily, right? A, I don't know if there's any kind of message you want to send out to your peers about doing club deals or or possibly selling down interest. Uh, I'll, I'll let you elaborate on that as well.
0: Sure, yeah, that's it is sort of a sidecar vehicle for us right now. With you know everything, you know, it's definitely something we're still bullish about the space. You know, I do think that the reality of our situation is we're going to see commodity prices recover. Certainly the shale industry is going to look a lot different going forward than it did after the 2015-2014 downturn. But at the end of the day, we need petroleum products to sustain our current way of life, and so you know there's an energy transition that's starting. I think there is a change in the industry, but you know certainly within my the rest of my professional career, I see there still being uh, plenty of opportunities in, in minerals and royalties, at the right price, and and with you know right partners. And so yeah, we're we're always open for discussion around just whether it's you know building relationships with other mineral buyers or having that. Phone a friend option out there if we do come across something that we can't take down ourselves, and we we do look at potentially selling down interest if they are too big. We have primarily portfolio of kind of that buy and hold. That's our strategy, and so our portfolio is pretty diversified across multiple basins just because of that. And so we look at both gas and, and oil and kind of again primarily Rockies and mid midcontinent and also into in the parts of Texas as well. But that that's kind of where we we see the, the market going.
1: Well, good stuff, Matt. I appreciate you taking the time to come on today and best of luck continuing forward and building up the the Mineral Rights Podcast. And uh, again, congrats on on all the success you've had. And I'm sure the industry at large is grateful for the efforts you're doing and keep on keeping on. And to close it off, is there a a good way for anyone to find your podcast or your consulting services or, or anything? What's the best way to get in touch with you?
0: Sure. Yeah, you can find the show at mineralrightspodcast.com. Um all the episodes and show notes are available there. We're also available wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. So um, your podcast player of choice or mineralrightspodcast.com. com. can connect with me on LinkedIn uh, as well. I'm somewhat active out there as well on on LinkedIn. And I uh, look forward to uh, to hearing from folks.
1: Fantastic. Well, We'll keep in touch. And uh, again, thanks for coming on, Matt. Appreciate the time.
0: Yeah, thanks again, Tim. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. The Oil and Gas Council represents the largest network of senior oil and gas executives and investors in the world. Throughout the year, we leverage our relationships and industry knowledge to facilitate introductions on behalf of our royalties clients to help them place capital, buy and sell deals, and form new partnerships. If you're interested in learning more about how we can help your team, By connecting you with executives like Matt, then please email me at tim.powell at oilcouncil.com or visit our website at www.oilcouncil.com. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to share these episodes with anyone in your network that you think would enjoy. Thanks and see you next time.